0: Smith, Bud Elliott back again for another episode of the Knollcast. All right, Bud, we consumed Saturday afternoon, which bled into Saturday night. We're here to give uh, an honest look back at Georgia Tech, having to be able to rewatch and maybe even rewatch again. Got a ton of listener questions that we'll get to over uh, this show in the course of uh, a couple that are soon to follow. And uh, yeah, we'll jump in, go back and forth, see what stood out to us. Maybe. If there's anything that we thought was different after a, a live watch and stood out to us and rewatch. But as always, we thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Title sponsor of the Nolecast, And with that, Bud, we will jump into it. Thought you did a great job on the Instant Reaction podcast. A lot of the stuff that you know you and I would, would normally have on an outline for something like this, quite honestly, was covered in the instant. Uh, we'll jump into this kind of note. Things that we uh, maybe saw different in a rewatch, or something that stood out that didn't immediately pop in the first the first live watch.
1: Yeah, man, I, I, I'm I'm excited about tonight because it's an opportunity to, to pinpoint places that either maybe Florida State is not as bad as, as we think they are, uh, or more likely, some areas for growth, uh, as perhaps we can call them. I'm not trying to make big, broad, sweeping judgments about a program uh, or about a coaching staff after one game in perhaps the the weirdest. Year one, you could possibly have. There's a reason why I've called this year zero from the start since we had the COVID thing going on. I think that's kind of, kind of what it is. I'll, let's go ahead and start on, on the offensive side of the ball here tonight. I, I want to start with something positive. I, I think there's something they can kind of build around. Maurice Smith to me looked, looked solid. I'm not going to say he's going to be a great player or a good player, although there's a chance he could be good down the line. I don't think he's necessarily good right now, but I think he's at least decent or solid. He, I didn't see any errant snaps. He got off the ball pretty quickly. Now the guys here he's blocking for Georgia tech are not good players. Many of them were actually backups because they had three key contributors out along that tech uh, defensive line. But I thought for his first game, and I know he got dinged like, as far as I know, he's okay. I thought he was pretty okay, man. Like that's maybe a positive building block we can build on and, and, I just wanted to start tonight on a little bit of positive notes. I know we have a lot of stuff that we can talk about, including something that I know you and I both noticed, which was not not a ton of room for the run game there, man. That was really frustrating,
0: and that was was something that I would have had a hard time predicting. I, I didn't think necessarily the Florida State that uh, you know would be opening up three yard holes and and uh, would be eight yards into a run before we make contact with anybody, but and I very rarely ever do this because it's not appropriate, but I was blown away by how successful they were running the ball against Florida State and how little success that Florida State was ever to ever establish in the run game. I mean, really, obviously, screen games are going to show up in the passing stats, and, and as they probably should, but that was the only time you were successfully able to incorporate your running backs into your offense at all. And, uh, you know, Webb might have looked a little bit better than Corbin when I go back and look at it, but both of them looked like average to above average running backs. And I, I think between the offensive lines limitations and, and backs that are not going to make up for things, uh, it's going to be a tough, frustrating year when it comes to Florida State really expecting a whole lot in run game. And and only and we'll get to this, but only magnified by the injury you sustained to tight end. That, that is a, a massive, massive problem when it comes to the run game and, and making people respect certain aspects of the run game.
1: Yeah, man, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I'm concerned about this run game going forward for Florida State. When I heard who was out for Georgia Tech, I, I thought, okay, this actually really benefits Florida State. We, we know what FSU's biggest weakness is. It's the offensive line. And uh, now that they get to face backups off, off a defense that was uh, not, not horrendous, but definitely not good at all last year, and they get to face their backups in this year's edition, they should be able to get movement. Uh, they should be able to, to effectively work Mike Norvell's you know, outside zone scheme uh, and, and then have more manageable down and distance throughout the game and effectively throw hard play action off. It. And ultimately their success rate running a football uh, was too low. They had no explosive runs. I'm pretty sure. Right. I, I'll go back and check here. Uh Yeah. Zero explosive runs at all from running backs. Blackman did have a 16 yard uh, scramble, but so they created no chunk plays with the run game at all. Georgia tech, never was really forced to come up and take away the run by committing extra defenders to the box. And, and this is going to be a theme throughout the analysis. Georgia Tech is kind of known for loading the box, for playing very aggressively, for sugar in the A gaps. And at times they did that, especially in the first half. But in the second half, man, they largely backed off as they realized that their defensive line, which was largely comprised of backups, could handle Epshu's offensive line. That's concerning. And I think you make a great point, by the way, especially when it comes to the run game. Cause I don't think Jordan Wilson's much of a pass catcher, but they went out and got him for a reason because they thought their tight end room was terrible. And it, like you got guys like a Wyatt Rector and the, the Preston kid who are, are walk on types behind Kay McDonald, who, you know, is not much of a blocker himself. Uh, the, their inability to run the ball is, is problematic because this is not an offensive line behind which you want to be dropping back 40 plus times like they did in this game. So they, they, they were unable to run and that's, uh, that's certainly a problem there, despite the fact they had some looks that I thought they could have run the ball more effectively against. And, and you're right. Uh, the backs really didn't get you anything additional. I think the backs averaged 19 carries for, uh, for 57, maybe that sound right. Not, not, not really the best there. Uh, if you count, if you count the handoff to Hilton, I mean, 20 carries for, from non quarterbacks for, for under 60 yards, that's, that's not going to get it done. And equally concerning was the passing game. And and I think that there is there's some blame to be to go around here in the passing game as well. It's not all in the offensive line. It's not all in James Blackman. It's not all in the receivers. I, I was and I wish I had more positive news to deliver, dude, but I, I went back and watched this. Which position do you want to start at? Because we we have some interesting observations, I think, for all three.
0: Yeah, I I don't just want to be super negative, Nancy or Downer. And I do think there were some good, some some green shoots. Uh, if, you, if you are so to say, at development, I thought Washington looks, looked stable at times. I thought that when the first five was in there, the offensive line was was decent. At the same time, some of the stats that are uh, available when you look at the total or the tally of the game are just nasty. Uh, one that you pulled out, tech pressured on, uh, tech created pressure on half of dropbacks uh, despite Tech blitzing less than a quarter of the pass plays. Again, when you talk about the level of players that you were facing, uh, whether it be just Georgia Tech's defense overall or uh, some of their more impactful linemen being um, suspended, withheld, whatever the situation was, uh, that's that's a really depressing stat. Even even if you do think you see slight areas of improvement along the offensive line particularly, particularly in pass protection. So hit me with the with those two stats again. For State was pressured how uh, on what percentage of their pass plays and how often did they face a blitz? Pressure was created on half of the dropbacks despite Georgia Tech blitzing less than a quarter of the pass plays. Yeah, that that's a problem. Because what that suggests to me is that it
1: this is not necessarily a situation where something that happened across college football this weekend happened to Ford State. And what what happened was you have some situations where teams only have so many protections, and if, if if and you haven't had a whole lot of time to rep it, Florida State is on the extreme end of not having a whole lot of time to rep it. And I'll give you an example here. Sometimes an, an opponent just figures out what your protection keys are, and and they're able to figure out what kind of protection you call against certain looks, and are able to really key on it. Key in on it. Go look at the Tulane game against South Alabama from this weekend. South Alabama was tearing Tulane up for a while, and then. I had a a coaching buddy on on Twitter said, I I think Tulane's got something figured out here. Let's see the next series. And I DM'd him. He's like, I'm pretty sure that they they just called out uh, South Alabama's protection keys, which would be a problem for South Alabama if Tulane had picked their stuff. And guess what? The next three drives, South Alabama gained negative one yards combined. Um, And they went on to blow the game because I don't think they got another first down for the rest of the game. I may be wrong on that, but it, it, it basically like next five or six drives, they did not a damn thing. The thing is, I'm sure Georgia Tech was able to, able to formation and, and align their way into some of this. I'm sure Florida State probably jacked up some of their protections with, with, with some missed calls, whether that's, you know, a, a missed pickup by a back on, on the play they did blitz or, you know, the quarterback not getting them into the right protection, which I'm sure happened more than we even realized because this is the first game under a new system. Uh, but you also had a number of times where guys were just physically beat. Again, my number one concern here is that they're getting beat. By Georgia Tech's backup. So when you tell me that they were able to get pressure on half of James's throws, or I guess, you know, dropbacks, because you, you got to count his scrambles in there too, on half of those, but they only blitzed on a quarter of them. That is concerning to me. I'm not going to lie, uh, because that suggests that you have real personnel issues up front and you may not take that step, uh, that third step that we, we were you know, kind of hoping for from going from terrible uh, to you know very bad to, to just blow average. I, I don't know that you get to blow average this year. Up front. And yet, man, I, I do think that it's proper to point out that James, I, I think, ran himself in. First of all, he did a great job to escape some pressures. I want to give him credit for that. There's that play in the second quarter when they're going into the South end zone where uh, they run a nice, hard play action on first and 15 after, after I think it was a false start. Dante and I think it was a tight end. I'm trying to picture the play in my head now. They, they have a double team and they end up getting blown up despite the fact they're double teaming this guy. Blackman almost gets knocked over. He, he manages to scramble out of it with a little spin. Does a great throw on, on a full sprint to Warren Thompson, who just freaking drops the ball, which is what he's done his entire career that I've, I've been able to watch. He also scrambles himself into pressure at times. There is a, uh, in fact, look at the play that he throws the pick on, on the sideline, and the decision is, is pretty horrendous but like scroll back 3 or 4 seconds before they had that play decently protected he has a decent depth in the pocket it doesn't look to me like like the the the, you know, the ends are about to bend the tackles are doing an okay job and he kind of steps up way too close to the center and guard and then it almost steps himself into pressure and he did this a couple times and it felt like he he, he didn't he didn't have great feel for for the pocket at all, and I guess it's hard to blame him. But but I'm not really looking for you know excuses and that type of stuff. I'm just telling you what I saw. I think he ran himself into some pressure, man. He definitely didn't play well. I think there were some times where there's some guys open that he didn't see, and then there were some times that, that he had some misfires. But he also had shit collapsing around him all night. I mean, early on, Thompson dropped multiple first down throws that were fine
0: throws that, that he needs to catch, and then he's also getting hit a decent amount of times. He's getting hit. He's, uh, he's been getting hit his whole career. And some of that's there. What's frustrating for me, James is that there's, um, well, there's a lot of frustrating stuff, but he doesn't necessarily operate like a quarterback that's six, five. A lot of times he moves around the pocket, almost like he's five eleven, Like he's trying to throw, like he's trying to find an alley to throw into or something like that. Uh, and part of that's probably, uh, because he feels pressure. That's not there. And part of it is because I don't think he ever, really is able to survey the field. I think he's, so, he's, he's gotten so focused on uh, trying to see, you know, which, which tackle is going to throw an o block or whatever else that uh, his progressions, for whatever reason, aren't there. You know, whether that's because he's afraid of getting hit or he doesn't read uh, parts of the, the field well. He certainly has a lot of areas that he struggles. And uh, I would have no problem on rewatch probably putting two, maybe three of these pressures on James just running into pressure that otherwise wasn't there.
1: I, I agree with you fully. So nobody is really able to escape criticism here tonight <laughs> because we also have to talk uh, about, I, I do, and this is, this is something I wrote down when, when when you called me the other day. I feel like James has these habits he slips into. And and, and I do wonder, and this is kind of the, the meta side of things. And, and I don't like getting into this as much because it's a little bit more guesswork than, than me being able to tell you what I see. But when I was talking to you, I was, I was taking notes. And you said the word habits a couple of times. James keeps slipping back into habits, and I, I circle it because you made a good point. I, I, I want to press you on that and bring that
0: up again. What, what are you seeing from him that, that you feel like like carries over? Well, what I see with James is that he's fine until things start to go bad around him. And quite honestly, James was pretty solid the first quarter. And as you know, and it's almost a microcosm for his career. He suffers some bad luck. He suffers some bad drops. He, he suffers circumstances that aren't necessarily those that he created. Uh, this is a little bit further in the game. I'm not sure I've watched a game where every lineman, that offensive lineman, has to be taken off the field at some point due to injury. Uh, now, most of them were able to return, but uh, obviously the further that Florida State got away from that starting five, the the worse the looks got. But James starts, you know, a term that uh, uh, Jimbo and, and others used, and James starts rat-trapping real quickly. You start to see the signs there, he starts to fall into that almost nervous pump fake that as soon as you start seeing James Blackman do that pump fake, uh, bud, you got to stop doing that. And and the frustrating thing is that James, ultimately, the, the habit uh, that bothers me the most is that he loses his composure. And you just can't do that when you're a quarterback. And you can't do that when you're a quarterback in this offense with how many – certainly there's going to be a lot of lows. You hope there's some highs – but you know your offensive line is going to create adversity. You know this wide receiver group is going to be up and down at best. Um, and you know that there are just going to be situations that are exceptionally frustrating. And I can't have your quarterback be the most, uh, you know, the, the person on the highest of emotional roller coasters on the field. So uh, those are my frustrations with, with James.
1: I, I think you're right. And I'm just sitting here thinking, man, I, I, you would hope that he could lift up his teammates. Right. And ele- elevate their play and, and lean on his experience. But most of his experience has been chaotic and, and losing. He doesn't have experience winning games very often. Right. And it, it, he doesn't have a lot of experience of, of structure and, and of being the guy who could say, Hey guys, we, we've done this before, you know, like, like calm down, believe in me that, that type of experience because he, he really hasn't done it and. He has been let down by his teammates a number of times, but I also think he let them down some in this game. Speaking of those teammates, and by the way, another area I wanted to point out about Blackman before we left, man, he just he was not effective at all in in sort of the the mid range game. Not not just not not just the screen stuff, not not just the short stuff, but some of that stuff between like five and fifteen. I know we already talked about what they did fifteen plus outside the numbers, but he really wasn't that great. Attacking backers, attacking the safeties, either, um, and that, that, that's just that's another area Florida State has to improve in. I do want to ask you this: What was your favorite missed tackle forced by Florida State? Because I'm watching this, and there's a lot of times where guys in, in just in the open field, and they look slow. Like they, this team looks slow to me. They, they don't look explosive at, at a lot of positions. I. I'm sitting there, I'm I'm watching Philly get tripped up on that one screen that could have gone for something pretty solid. He he gets shoestrung. I thought Asante Samuel could have housed both interceptions, actually, and for him not to get one of those is is pretty crazy
0: and was very impactful in the game. Yeah, I got to have Jones block that line, I know when you're defensive back, you don't think the other defensive back, but dude, you got to block first available man in that situation. and. I don't know if he takes it to the house. I know he gets another fifteen or twenty yards out of it. Uh and and on the second one, again, not being critical, a kid who got two interceptions, but on the second one, if he either is patient enough to set up a block or if he just wants to cut back up the field, that's almost definitely a touchdown. So yeah, yeah, no, the explosiveness. And even Travis J, Travis J was uh the two of his runs are at least another shoestring away from ten yards more, if not. So, you know, there's some things out there but I can't think of any missed tackles. I think of one uh, that 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 Terry set up a block really well and created an extra eight yards or so for himself in space that I was surprised to see. But uh, this one missed tackle <laughs> that you've identified is uh, is currently slipping my head here in, in the in the uh, mental files that I'm searching.
1: So I think it's Corbin, uh, and, and it's not a it's not a screen pass, but it's a swing pass to him. Uh, there, I think it's first quarter. And so they're going into the north end zone. Is this the one he one hands? It's a left handed one hand catch? No. Uh, I don't, no, I don't think so. Cause, cause he's he's coming towards the, uh, the Florida state sideline. Um, and, and he catches it, puts a little stop move on a guy, cuts back inside and gets the first down. So that, that would be my favorite missed tackle <laughs> of the night. I did not think we were going to take this long talking about this, but I just do want to say that the NOLCast is brought to you by. Shannon Young and Chad Redwinder, 850-844-FSU Loan, 844-FSU Loan, closing in on 80 Noel Cash listeners who have done their, their home loan or the refi through those guys. Find out why. Great rates, great customer service, a little bit of Noel's conversation. If you want to commiserate on, on just, just how this Noel season is going, I guarantee you that Shannon and Chad can talk your ear off if if you call 844-FSU Loan. I think you'll have a really awesome loan experience as well. Let's go ahead and talk. I would say briefly, but who knows? This this may not be bridge. Let's talk about the receivers and their production or lack thereof. This was an area that I think on rewatch, I was even more disappointed in because this is an area that is supposed to be a strength of the four State team. And we know that one of Georgia Tech's best defensive backs was out. The rest of their secondary, I don't think is very bad. And I'll fully acknowledge that Tech was able to uh, largely play a lot of coverage because, as we know, they didn't blitz very much, so they were able to drop a lot of guys back. You, you I think they were scared of Florida State's receivers, and athletically they have reason to be scared of Florida State's receivers. However, uh, Florida State receivers just didn't show up. They, they played like crap. They, they were, I think, maybe as bad as the offensive line was. We already gave you the numbers on, on throwing out, 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 outside. Do you have the uh, um, I'm looking for you. I, I I charted a bunch of stuff. Do you have the numbers that, that, that Blackman had when he was targeting the receivers? No. Uh, okay, I found it. Found it. All right. So he was 11 of 23 for 84 yards when throwing to receivers. I mean, that's under four yards per attempt throwing to your receivers. And your receivers are supposed to be your strength of the team, right? Tamari and Terry, they think, is going to be a high draft pick. Warren Thompson... You know, is let back on the team for a reason, and pr- part of that is probably because he has some pretty tantalizing talent spot, you know, size, speed combo. Now, whenever I've seen him in person, he's always had drop issues, but maybe I just caught him on bad days repeatedly, and I also happen to watch Florida State games, so you know, may- maybe the the curse continues there. Ontario Wilson didn't really do anything. Um, Keyshawn Helton caught one ball, it was the touchdown on on the opening scripted drive. They they really did not threaten. Uh, the middle of the field very well with those guys that they, they, they ran a couple crossers and and uh, you know a couple a couple deep overs the the drops were were a major issue I, I don't think the dudes did a very good job of getting open on some other plays and I'm sure they were not very precise in their routes if and I couldn't see all this obviously because I don't have the all twenty two copy but if it If we look at the attention to detail, some of the pass protections from the backs, the offensive line play, what Black and what Blackman did, and maybe some of his issues setting the protections. I think it's fair to extrapolate and say that the mental side of the receiver game there
0: was, was not very good. Would you agree? Like they're not there yet either. No, it was uh, exceptionally disappointing. Obviously, the Terry drop is going to be the one that stands out. I mean, in my opinion, Uh, if he catches that ball, it's probably a touchdown. And if it's a touchdown, you win the game. Uh, you know, it's just, and I I know that's being simple, but, uh, you already had two, you know, uh, decent drives. And, and once you, once you show to a defense that you can beat them in one play, that really impacts the way that they have to play against you the rest of the time, both, uh, from a schematic standpoint and a, and a mental standpoint of knowing that it's one play 74 yards or whatever. And, uh, you know, look, if you want to win games, you want to win close games, one of the guys that you identify as one of the best players on your team simply has to make that cash. And and I don't want to be naive to the circumstances that Terry uh, was playing under. And, uh, you know, I, it sounds like I'm being dismissive of that. I'm not. Uh, but if you're a guy that wants to be a first-round pick and uh, your quarterback makes a throw like that, simply has to be caught. And, uh, you know, that is kind of, Symbolmatic of the day that the wide receivers gave you, it was really poor. I will say there are a couple times where Wilson is not just open; he's real open, and it doesn't James doesn't see him. Uh, he could have had some more yards there, but otherwise, it was uh, exceptionally limiting from what you got out of the wide receivers. Yeah, like this is an
1: area though. If we're, if we're going to be positive, I, I do think I'm not going to say drops are random because they're not, but I, I do think that there is a higher element of randomness. As opposed to like, being physically able to handle somebody or not is less random. That is like a, a that's an innate thing that you're not going to change overnight. If Florida State receivers catch the ball, then we're still talking about concerns we have, but we're talking about a one zero football team that is still on track to have a winning record because they got a very they, they got to win in a very important game. Instead, they they did not catch the ball and man some of these passes to thompson i i agree with you the the, the terry drop was obviously the, the the most consequential because of of the like you're just not going to scheme guys that open that deep very often and it was it was a good ball too
0: yeah. <laughs> and even rarer is your quarterback going to th- deliver it in that manner yeah exactly like like I, I think i think it's a good ball
1: i i know there was some talk today like like was it on the wrong shoulder i i, I think that's a good ball but man like the, the the couple balls to Thompson were, we're going to be first downs. There's the one that gets reviewed down there that he doesn't that that he doesn't catch, and that that's a ball he needs to catch too. Yeah, he he killed him on the day. Like like he would if I had to give like like who's the worst player on the offense of, of, of the day award, it'd be Thompson personally um, for for all all those key drops and just failing to you know be a big body receiver who catches the football. Okay, uh, you want to go a little defense here. We have we have more offensive thoughts. I, let me ask you this. I made a point in the instant, and I, I want to see if you agree with it, and, and or maybe if you don't. Okay, but if you do, to what extent? This team looked pretty damn good on its script. I'm not of the opinion that this team looked a lot better coached than it was last year. In fact, I'm not sure they looked better coached than it was last year. They, they, complete inability to create explosives is on coaching too, and dropping the ball like that is is you know somewhat on coaching, but not fully. But I made the point that they look really good on their script, and once they got off their script, it looked like complete, you know, dog crap. And part of that might just be that they had time, man, on their script. They had time, like they they rep those plays constantly in practice. Your script is what you've run a bunch, is what you know. And once they got off that, they looked sloppy. They did not look well coached once they got off the script. Now I've seen people say, "Oh, they got lined up." Yeah, but they also weren't trying to go a million miles an hour. When they got off script, it's a little bit easier to get lined up if you're not trying to play tempo like they were last year. So I don't know if that's really apples to apples. Do you think that the way they play with their script is indicative of what this offense can look like if Mike Norvell gets enough time to work with them?
0: Uh, I I certainly think you can be optimistic as to what they did there. I think you also have to realize that the difference between like your script and non-script, as we say on almost every freaking issue is only magnified because of COVID and what you know, you're know. you really able to install and the amount of plays that your your team feels fully confident in, particularly as you kind of interlink some of those uh, those philosophies and combinations in your script. I think it's a reason for optimism, but at the uh, same time, if you back the numbers out of what were off your script and what you did the rest of the game, it's scary as hell. So I, I don't want to be entirely negative, but um, I think you can take the good that coaches created situations took the took advantage of some of the skill sets that you have on the roster, and hope that uh, you know with a bye week and and, uh, and getting into, as much as you can for Miami. Jack State gives you another chance to kind of revisit coaching at a detailed level. That uh, you know maybe your final six or seven games look a little bit more like your first six or seven uh, you know offensive plays. I think that's fair, man. I just, I, I, am curious as to what these next two weeks of practice
1: look like as far as value add for this program. And if you assume, if you basically consider they've had like five weeks of practice at this point, where normally you would have had, you know, your your, your three weeks in spring, and then you take what you do in spring, and you actually have players on campus specifically in the pass game, and then also in the defensive backfield stuff when you're running your summer seven on sevens. Like they weren't there running summer seven on seven because that's not like they. They weren't on campus. They they, they weren't all together. They, they had not installed their offense. So I, I am a little bit more optimistic than I thought I would be about how much these next two weeks could matter for them. Now, I don't think it's going to get fully turned around, but compared to what our normal season, if you said, oh, bud, they, they stuck it up against the team that was the worst team in the league last year and it didn't have a lot of their key players that were held out due to injuries or COVID or whatever. I'd say, but, but we have the bye week coming up. I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's hard for me to buy into. And it still is hard for me to buy into. But I think just because if you've had so little practice compared to a normal year to this point, and you're installing a new scheme still, that I'm willing to believe that they might improve some from that standpoint. And they have to. And that may not translate to wins because of of the, the step up in competition they're about to face. But they might look a little bit better as far as, execution standpoint when they're not just getting physically whipped
0: yeah yeah um not exactly on the subject (laughs) that we're talking about but when you talk about looking a little bit better certainly some guys that you hope get some good quality protein and spend a lot of time in the weight room over the next uh two weeks or so you get a little bit of a chance to lift heavy again uh in theory i don't know what florida state's doing from a strength and conditioning standpoint don't want to act like i do but um, you know, I thought the comments that we made on Lucas in particular. I think you're absolutely right about that. That's a guy that missed. Uh, I'm going back to the offensive line here, but just off the thoughts, you know, that's a guy that missed his opportunity to have a big leap. And uh, you know, we from what we saw so far, uh, a little bit of a regression, and physically looks almost uh, like he's fallen back some. So he's worse
1: than he was last year. Yeah, yeah. So there's no doubt he's worse than he was last year. And Darius Washington. He doesn't look out of shape, but he wasn't pushing people around. And he, look, remember he had, he had surgery in the offseason too, right? Like he couldn't, he couldn't lift. So like that, I certainly don't put on coach storms. This, this whole COVID thing did put a lot of, a lot of really unique challenges on him. Like, like for, for a guy like Dante, who's back home in Miami, you're trying to figure out where you can find a, a, a water treadmill for, him, right? Cause re, rehabbing a guy who's 320 pounds is difficult. And I'm not saying they specifically told me about that. That about Dante? Just hypothetically, of course. But I mean, that's that's like stuff that they had they've had to worry about and think about. Much less, hey, how much are you squatting right now? He's a guy that I would expect to push around the short detect defensive front. Did not do it. I didn't see. I didn't see Dante or uh, Darius getting a lot of movement against them either. You know, Maurice Smith's not really going to be a guy who's going to get a whole lot of strength movement. He's more of a quickness player. Uh, but I, I thought he was okay. And the at the other guard spot, they 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 really weren't very good there either, man. Um, I I, I didn't think on was was
0: dominant by any stretch. Let's
1: you you want to go to defense now?
0: Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to derail us there. Uh, <laughs> two guys who always look like they've spent a lot of time in the weight room: uh, Kendo and Robinson. Uh, Kendo obviously suffers the uh, the injury that so far, fingers crossed, sounds as though. Is maybe not uh, not the situation that I think everybody thought it was in the immediate five minutes after uh, the contact. There, Kando sounds uh, you know mildly optimistic on on a return. Uh, if not for Miami, then uh, shortly thereafter. But even before uh, Kendo suffered the injury, I thought the defensive ends were just kind of average. Certainly not uh, playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Now you can make an argument, and I think you're probably right that maybe some of that is. The first five or seven minutes is trying to figure out exactly what Georgia Tech's doing with Sims, and you don't want to, you know, create lanes by being aggressive or uh, you're probably asking them to play a little bit of contain there. But I thought the ends were just kind of average throughout the day, and and even when Kando uh, went off the field, we talked about it all offseason, but, uh, you know, you saw the the precipitous fall off that we were concerned about. Man, you are generous calling these ends average.
1: Oof. Uh, I was, I was not a fan of, of their play on the day. I, I agree with you upon rewatch. I, I don't think tech actually handled the blitz very well. And I think he just nailed it there. I, I don't want to just repeat what you said, but I think, I think he nailed it with, they were trying to see if Sims could, could complete the throws underneath consistently. He ultimately, he did not, uh, for much of the first half. He threw, he, he, he threw him two kind of gift interceptions there. Um, uh, and they allowed yards, but not points because eventually Sims screwed up. The defensive ends against the run were something that I did not anticipate struggling as much as they did. I thought that non-Kendo defensive ends against the pass could be an issue. But man, these defensive ends against the runs, they just flat out sucked. And ultimately, I think they made, they, they kind of hung the linebackers out to dry. Uh, multiple times. This is one correction I I have from the the instant. I I thought the backers were not very good with with some of their pursuit angles and I'm not saying they were perfect, but man, I do think that some of that was these DNs doing a very poor job and and exposing the backers to to way too much space. Durden also played a little bit out of control at times, but at least he got some pass rush from the interior so I have a hard time knocking him too much. And by the way, I don't know if you if you know this, some people who cover the program apparently don't know this, but like he was actually, I see you laugh. Uh, I'm not going into that more. Uh he was, you know, he missed part of camp and, and and was, you know, had had an injury this off season, so it's not like he was, you know, fully fully ready to go there.
0: He missed part of camp. We we said uh, in the in the preview that he was going to be a, take a little bit along, uh, take a little bit of time to come along and uh, be back into flow and and. uh Marvin Wilson's a very good player. Uh, I, I that is one person that I'm not concerned about. I mean, Marvin Wilson is is going to play to the back of his baseball card. I have no, you know, doubt, no doubt. And by that, I mean his historical production and the historical level uh, that he's played at will be there. Um, but Marvin and and Durden are very complementary of each other. You know, Marvin is all but a guaranteed stalemate, and and is as good of a run defender as there is, and Durden is when healthy and and uh, fully fresh is is one of the better. Uh, interior pass uh, rushers that you're going to find in the country. And um, Durden is just going to take a couple games before he's back where I think he is. And, and probably Marvin will only play better. I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody. I do think that it's hard to judge some of the defensive line because they just don't get reps. I mean, they don't get quality reps coming into a season. I've been told that going one versus twos is to the point where it's not beneficial for either player. You know, uh defense alignment can develop bad habits uh, second string offensive line, does it do them any good to just get you know get the health run out of uh, them? And your one-versus-one reps are exceptionally limited because you have seven functional offensive linemen, and you're not really interested in getting people banged up in, in practice. So I do think that the defensive line will continue to improve, play better to an extent, particularly your interior that I'm talking about, um, and that I do give those guys a slight benefit of the doubt because I think you just kinda of come into the season kind of raw and it takes a second when when other people wearing different color jerseys are really trying to block your ass and you haven't really faced that in uh, in camp at all. I, I agree with you. Um
1: another guy who I thought would be better and really was not.
0: Jaden. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I was skeptical of him. He was we were pretty um we were pretty positive on a lot of different people and aspects of this all uh, defense he was one guy that I'm concerned with going into the season because I, I think he's smart enough to maybe give you some looks in practice that don't necessarily translate over to game day. And, um, you know, Woodby's be a, a really good individual. If I ever have a, a, a son, i you know, would love to think that I'd have somebody that's a, 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 when compared to the general population, a really good athlete, bright kid, well-rounded, but as far as a college football player, a below average defender, I'm sorry. Um, a tweener in the most negative of connotations, not really big enough to play linebacker, not necessarily um, athletically gifted to play in the secondary, in my opinion. And either of those two things can somewhat be masked if you have good football instincts and the ability to kind of read the play. And I'm sorry, there's been no sign of that uh, from Woodby at all. Just, uh, you know, when you look at kind of the heat map of, uh, the, the performances that he gives you a whole lot of C minuses and C pluses over the course of his career. And, uh, I, again, I don't want to be too critical of the kid, but a guy who almost picks up a personal foul, uh, in the fourth quarter after a, a third and long where Jeff Sims ends up getting, I'd say Jalen's involved in the tackle. He doesn't necessarily make it. Uh man, I cannot have you flirting with getting a personal foul when you're playing this below average. It's uh that's tough. So don't want to bang on any individual kid too hard, but mm, hopefully Hamza Nasruldeen comes back is healthy and uh, Woodby's moments our uh, our plays get a little bit limited because I think he's nothing but uh but a liability in the in the grand scheme right now.
1: Another thing I was wrong about, I I thought that Florida State's coaching at the linebacker position would be a lot better and that its coverage from its backers would improve. And maybe it will. Again, like I said to start the show, I'm not really into like jumping and making huge conclusions after one game, especially not in the COVID era. But I thought that the linebackers got picked on far too often in coverage. Sometimes it was just a great catch made by a guy, but other times it was just they, they weren't good enough. In coverage, man. Um, now maybe this is, they're not getting good reps in practice, right? This offense sucks. So like maybe they're, they're not, if, if this is what your starting offense looks like, what, what does your scout team look like? It's, it's probably pretty damn bad. I do think that Georgia Tech did a good job. This is something schematic. I want to talk about it for a minute. I think Georgia Tech did a good job in realizing that Florida State was not very good in some of its zone match stuff. And then instead of continually running zone beaters, switching to running more man beaters in the second half, and they correctly anticipated that Florida State, because it had been struggling to run some of its zone match stuff, would have to go more man-to-man. And so kudos to Tech for figuring out something that I was a little bit worried about in the live watch. And I, I don't know if I, if I mentioned this in the, uh, the instant. I probably should have. But you could definitely see it if you go back. A lot of the times when Tech is hitting these crossers and these rub routes and things, that these are, are routes that are largely designed to defeat man coverage. And, and there are certain plays you call when you think you're more likely to get zoned based on down distance formation, tendency, personnel, et cetera. And there are certain ones uh, for the same reasons that you would call if you would think you're going to get man. So I do think Tech did a better job of calling more man beaters in the second half. And uh, they, they guessed correctly that Fort State would play more man there in some of those situations and they were able to hit those throws like those crossing routes. Kudos to them. That that was good uh, on, on their part. What are your hopes for the defense improving? Cause I, I do think there may be some if Kendo's okay.
0: Yeah. If Kendo's available, then I am, uh, I'm concerned about the defense, but I still remain somewhat optimistic about parts of it. I would feel much more optimistic if you tell me a definitive timeline on, on Mr. Natural Dean. But until then, I do think your defensive line will get better. I I think they're exceptionally challenged in what they're able to replicate, and I just think reps uh, only bring out the the true talent that you have there. I did think Cooper had some nice moments. Uh, Good to see from him. I don't know what's going to come from the ends. I think uh, Robinson will continue to be average. I'd love to not see him ever in pass coverage again. I don't know why that's become such a, a repeated thing in this <laughs> over this uh, program's history over the past couple of years, but it sure seems to be frequently. And uh, frequently, it does not work out for us. So, uh, I do think the linebackers were slightly better in rewatch. I do have some concerns about the Loach both in in coverage, which I thought was going to be a strength, and and blocks. Man, when he gets blocked, he's not. It's, he gets stuck. So concern there and we need to give a tip of the hat to Gaynor. Uh he played pretty well and took it took advantage of some situations that he was put in. Uh but I think the overall defense, I continue to be optimistic in the fact that the D line gets better. I do think you're you've improved in coaching. I think that will bear out over time. Uh I am not necessarily running from some of the things that we said about the defense coming into this year.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with with most of that. You mentioned, you know, Gaynor took advantage of some situations. He was also not taken advantage of in pass coverage, at least not very much. And I think that's an important thing to note because we we worried about him in space somewhere. So uh tip of the hat to Mark Gaynor. He also looked like one of the very few explosive dudes on the team. Like a lot of these guys, especially after the lightning delay, uh they they looked like they were just running in mud and, and tech looked like the faster, more explosive team. Yeah, that was disappointing. Uh, For sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, Woody had a couple moments of flash, also a couple moments of concern where he's trying to make tackles and and run support that uh, needs to improve upon there. But yeah, so we'll see. I thought Jones uh, got picked on a little bit in run support and, you know, just needs to play a, a slightly level better uh, overall level of play. But I don't think that kid is is going to be an All-American, but I don't think he's a huge liability uh, either. I I think the defense has some things to work out, and I I think the defense will be pretty pretty, pretty damn good once it it kind of finds its stride. So let me
1: ask you this. Do you think that there will be any personnel changes on the defensive side? How locked down do you think Jones is at the corner spot?
0: Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I, I certainly think there's some things up for review, I didn't see necessarily some of the names that I thought I would see in the secondary. I don't know if that was uh, just concern or or why that was exactly. I think it'll be Jones's position for... I think he'll be your starting DB for Miami, uh, and I think he'll see the majority of the snaps
1: still. That's, God, that game is is an interesting matchup for them. Uh, I don't know if you how much of that Miami game you got to watch against UAB, but I have a little bit of concerns that Miami... Might be able to get the edge on Florida State since Georgia Tech did repeatedly, and that's not a great thing. So, going to have to uh, have to improve that there a lot, or lose. You know, if you don't improve, you could just
0: lose. Oh man! Well, I want to, uh, I want to, I want to say one thing real quickly. And in the history of this podcast, we've been uh, pretty—I don't know if aggressive, but we've been consistent for asking for five-star reviews from you, and we certainly appreciate. I think we've gotten thirty-seven or thirty-eight hundred. uh, the amount of response for a team-specific podcast, which is just incredible. I uh, want to ask you tonight to give our friends at Township consideration. Now, I know this is an exceptionally tough time for everybody. Uh, when you go into a restaurant, some people are you know, shocked by the fact that not every person in the outfit's wearing a mask. Some people think that wearing a mask is a personal affront to them. It's just a challenging time. And sometimes you get people that respond to things that have really not a reflection of the institution or the people in it at all. Uh so township, my understanding, has faced a couple <laughs> a couple harsh reviews based out of basically things that are out of their uh concern or ability to handle. So if you have if you have 20 seconds and you've enjoyed Township in the manner that Bud and I have over the years, if you could go and leave a positive Yelp or Google review, uh it would be greatly appreciated and uh asked nothing but reflective of, of what those guys have have given us over the years. So, if you've got a second, it'd be uh, gratefully appreciated uh, to to give our friends at Township the uh, online respect that they deserve. Yeah, guys, Township is a blast. Uh,
1: if if you've come to any of our meetups there or MADSO, if you could take the time, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. And it's very much beyond their control to enforce uh, the health code. Like that—that's what they have to do. And they're a very—they're very like publicly visible restaurant, and so. They're 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 ones that that they really have to comply. So help those dudes out. We'd really appreciate that. I I think we should just skip the special teams talk. I just had a one liner in here. I I I said I thought they were good, even if you back out the block kicks, which were part great effort by Marvin, and then part Georgia Tech uh, does not execute their step protections very well, uh, and they need to remedy that probably (laughs) for the next game because they it's not great to have three kicks blocked if if you're Georgia Tech.
0: Just, uh, love to continue to see the effort given there. It's kind of easy to see in game one, uh, to see the pursuit, to see the energy. Let's keep it consistent, uh, on some of those coverage units, but overall completely agree back. The block kicks out still a dramatic step in the right direction for pretty much every special teams unit out there.
1: Oh, by the way, uh, other offenses are having bad days as well as we record this, uh, Saquon Barkley has six yards on 15 carries, which makes Deshaun Corbin and uh, Webb look like like Barry Sanders in his prime. Uh, so everybody can have an off night. Just you know, Florida State's had a couple off nights. I, I want to. Do you want to have a big picture discussion here? We we we, ha- we have two possible ones, and, and and I'll I'll give you both of them because we'll, we'll tackle the other one later, maybe on, on a future episode. First one is kind of a multi-parter. If you pull the plug on Blackman, when do you want to do it? And if you do, do you full do you follow through and go full youth movement? And then the second one here is: Would you pick Georgia Tech as your most winnable game again
0: after watching them? Or we can, I guess we could do both. Maybe let me answer. Let me answer number two quick because I can think I can answer it quickly. Uh, not yes, but hell yes, man. And and if I I'll tell you what if I would have known. And granted, everybody sustained injuries throughout the course of the game. But if I would have known the composition of the rosters at the time of kickoff that I knew that we were doing during the preview, I wouldn't have just picked Georgia Tech as the most winnable game. I would have picked it by another kind of two and a half, three points mentally in my mind as to where it was. I don't think, uh, I, I think I had most winnable. You had a second most winnable when we back out Jack State. I don't think we had some great, miss when evaluating Georgia Tech. I think they're an, an average football team, and you lost to an average football team. I wouldn't have them anywhere else than I did when I look at uh, confidence ratings tied to wins. So I was speaking to somebody today on the
1: phone, and I had a lot of phone calls. I don't. It might have been you even. I'm trying to think about who I talked to. I said, look, I, I do not think that Florida State is the worst team in the ACC. In fact, I, I watched a lot of that Syracuse game, and I haven't even seen NC State play, and I saw some Wake. But, man, their schedule is is not favorable. And I agree with you. Georgia Tech was probably the most winnable game on that schedule. They don't get to play Syracuse. They don't get to play Boston College. I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the ACC, but they could have the worst record in the ACC if they're not careful. Like If they don't get better, they will have the worst record in the ACC, I, I think. Uh, because at least those teams get to play each other, and, or, and somebody's going to get, get a win by default. After seeing who was out for Georgia Tech, yeah, that that's that's a game that's really inexcusable to lose. And if we were not in a first year head coach COVID year, which is pretty extreme circumstance, I think we would be going fully full in on repping Mike Morbell. But we're not for good reason because he really hasn't had any time to implement his system like we discussed all summer and people didn't like it, but you really can't put your culture in via Zoom. You can try, and you also really can't put your schemes in via Zoom, not with college kids. Maybe in the NFL where everybody runs pretty similar stuff and you're dealing with professionals, but not in college. All right, let's split up the first the first big question. Would you pull the plug on Blackman?
0: And if so, when? I think James has been uh, exceptionally <laughs> unfortunate and has received a horrible hand at Florida State. Um, I don't think that that means he needs to be your quarterback moving forward. I think you can acknowledge that and... Uh, you know, kind of apologize to the kid for what's happened over the course of his career and some of the coaching and situations he's been forced to deal with, and at the same time say that for the betterment of the same program that's kind of screwed you over. I'm sorry, but I need to move in another direction. And at this point, I would probably do that with James. So would you go to Rodemaker?
1: Because I, I, I'm doing some math here. I, I read that Arizona article, right the the, the article about Chubba Purdy's surgery, and then they opened it back up to get, do, do the uh, like the the clean out or whatever after the infection thing. So the initial time timeline was six weeks and that was just under four weeks ago. I'm going to assume that he got bumped back conservatively. Can we say a week probably to, to make that timeline seven weeks, which would imply that he has just a little bit over three weeks to go. That would put him back basically like he'd be back at practice if he's a super healer on like
0: Monday the 5th of October. I mean, just think about this. There's no great situation, and uh, while you look at the timeline, there's no, I mean, the obviously if Purdy was there, I would feel different that you would give the uh, the reins over to a guy who maybe you feel has a chance to be a little bit more of a of your long-term quarterback. I don't know that that's necessarily Rotomaker, and, you know, in theory, if you could, Call a certain quarterback in Mississippi and go ahead and have have him uh, you know miss a senior year of high school and get in your program. maybe that's the direction you'd go in. but um, and I don't want to be all sportscaster about this and talk a bunch of nonsense, but I would do whatever the hell you have to do to get through the next five games or so. If it means you run some uh, every quarter you've got a wildcat package with Travis J then so be it. I mean if if you need to get creative, then do it because I just think you've got to do whatever's freaking possible to fight claw. Try to get some wins and at the same time look to the future. And James Blackman's just not your future. And unfortunately, he's not going to be a guy that fights or claws for a whole lot of wins either, based off what you've seen from him.
1: I I think that's fair. I just, I asked some people, like, was was Rodemaker anywhere
0: close to Blackman? And the answer I got was no. Yeah, neither was Purdy really. I mean, right. Yeah, no, you're right. There was no great competition. It was James's job and nobody really threatened. Now, maybe with, with more opportunity, Purdy would have, uh, you know, would have started to scale up. But you know, maybe, maybe in a way, you're lucky that there's only seventeen thousand fans in the stands. Because I think James Blackman would get booed relentlessly by this fan base right now. And it may not be fair. It's probably not appropriate. But in a way, I'm I'm glad there's I'm glad there's not seventy eight thousand people in that building right now when when the quarterback runs out onto the field. I think there's some greater concerns here too, and we're combining
1: a couple different Patreon questions here. I think into one with this one. And I'm glad we have three more shows to do in the next two weeks because we have a lot of questions.
0: We have more than 30 questions. Uh, We'll get to some tonight. We'll get, uh, if you don't want your question tonight, one, don't feel as though you cannot contribute to uh, continue to send some in. And two, know that they will probably appear in one of the next two shows. So if, if Purdy
1: had not had the setback, in theory, you could, you could have him back in practice after the Miami game. He could actually get get a game under his belt against Jacksonville State on the third, and then maybe you let him run through the gauntlet of Notre Dame, North Carolina, Louisville, Pitt. I do think that, yeah, that's the issue. Is like if he doesn't get back until like, are you going to start a guy whose first practice is the Monday of Notre Dame week against Notre Dame first, like first ever college ball practice in like in a game week, and then North Carolina. Where you know you're going to have to score points to win the game. You're like you're not going to defense your your way to a win there, Louisville. You're, great. you're probably going to, have to score points. You know, Pitt has a
0: really good defense. I think you bring up a great point. I think you also just have to. You know, I mean, does Georgia Tech want to start a true freshman against Florida State in Doak in game one? Does Boise State want to start a true freshman in again odd circumstance? But in Doak in game one, I just think that. Other programs have been able to do it. I think you're setting your, yourself up for potential failure. I think you and I agree loosely on this that I'm not fully sure you can break a kid, but I'm not sure that you can't either. I mean, I think Jeff Driscoll got broken at Florida. I think he faced uh, some defenses in one night against Alabama in particular, where he got beaten up in a manner that I don't think he looked at college football the same way. Uh, and I'm not trying to pick on a Florida kid, but. Uh, I think you can have bad experiences when you're introduced to the quarterback position and it shapes what the rest of your trajectory looks like. Other times, I don't think it phases kids. So uh, I don't think it's a guaranteed thing, but I do think you have to be somewhat cognizant about bringing kids along. At the same time, I think you you got to do whatever you can to explore all your options of quarterback. So I think
1: there are two competing, but also not competing elements at play here. Number one. Is image management and recruiting, right? This is a staff that I think has had some really, really tough hands dealt to it in recruiting wise, because they, they did think that part of their sell was going to be, look at our development, right? Look, look at our improvement on the field. Look, look at, look at how well we coach. Look at how well we scout. And now the scouting has been kind of chopped out from under them because they weren't able to have summer camp and they, they're not able to get around and visit all these high school games because the NCAA dead period is in effect. And they're not really, they're not going to have a product to sell that, that's improved. Like they're, they're, this is not going to be a team with a better record than it was last year after you lost the Georgia Tech game. I mean, it's, in my opinion, I mean, they're, they're not going to be better than, than six wins this year. You, you have to, I, I, you're not going to, to sell improvement on the field when it comes to overall record. So I think you have to find a way to sell hope. And future improvement. And so one of the I'm gonna propose something here I want to kind of get your thoughts on. I don't think you could finish the year with James Blackman as your starter, unless he makes some kind of crazy leap that actually makes you think he can learn under Mike Morrell's system and be your starter come 2021. Like if you if you think there's a any shot that he's not your starter come 2021, I think you need to be starting Purdy or or Rodemaker. Because A, it gets them experience, which is the other competing factor here. You want to make sure that you're getting your guys some experience and not break them, but get them experience and kind of learn and understand what you have. But also you need something you can sell to recruits. You can say, Hey, look, we started the year off really bad, man. Our quarterback of the future got hurt, but last four games. Yeah. Clemson beat us 58 to seven. Okay. That, that, that was disappointing. Whatever. But we also, you know, had a nice hard fought win. At NC State, we got revenge on Virginia and we went up there and, and, you know, we, we, we fought hard against Duke in, in, in the cold weather to finish the year. It wasn't great, but you saw some things from Purdy or you know, maybe Rodemaker, I guess. It, there isn't, there's an argument, I think, for image management and, and for, for PR and for recruiting purposes of not going to Purdy until the clock hits November and letting James take the losses that are coming in the month of October. Because otherwise, Purdy's, you're going to see a lot of negative highlights. I can negatively recruit the sh** out of Florida State, I think, if you start Purdy against Miami. Because he's going to have a lot of bad games. Miami, Notre Dame, probably one of of Louisville, UNC. Pitt's defense is really nasty. And I'll be able to tell him, look, man, like they're hyping Purdy, but he's not any good.
0: What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a, a certainly a nuanced take, and I think you bring up a good point. It just seems like we viewed James's whole career basically as a caretaker for a position, and waiting for somebody else to kind of grow into it or take it over. And uh, I just wonder if that's the way that you looked at somebody. Then why, you know, why don't you ultimately try to move on to something else? And and it's a tough situation. If Purdy hadn't sustained the collarbone, obviously, it'd be different. If he hadn't sustained an infection. Tied to it, it would probably be a very different conversation. But it's a, it's a, it's a bad ordeal, and it's probably the most painful takeaway from from losing that game is that all of your question marks, all of your frustrations, all of your concerns have only been amplified about your quarterback, and that's just where we are right now. So, not uh, not a whole lot of great roads for either of us to point people down. Uh, but I think you gave a really compelling answer to why there might be a little bit. Of uh, of tact in waiting and and letting James maybe absorb some of the losses that we feel pretty confident are otherwise coming. And,
1: and I might be totally wrong, right? Mike Morbell might tell me, you know what? No, man, I, I I value the experience and the development more than I than I value uh, the the image management there. But there, those are are two things that he does have to balance
0: for sure. And look, we're not knocking different parts of the country or whatever, but man, you're going to be throwing a kid from freaking Arizona into some of the more challenging college football uh, teams and rosters that are out there. And it's just not, you know, game moves fast as hell for every freshman, but he's he's never going to have seen anything even replicated of the game speed to which he's immediately thrown into. And um, certainly looks as though he's going to have Every bit of the offense thrown onto his shoulders, whether it be his legs, his arms, or whatever else. Uh, when you're the quarterback of this offense, good luck, man, because you're gonna get your you're gonna get rocked and you're gonna have an awful lot put on you. Dude, there's no doubt about it. One thing that we're fortunate to always be able to fall back on is our partnership with the good people at Congruity. Uh CongruityHr.com. Congruity is experiencing your business. Optimized. Highly customer HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. 844-247-4100. Email address is Knowles at Congruity HR. Contact our friend Matt Lewis and his team. Uh, they will make your business run better. Uh, they will do everything possible to make a creative and beneficial partnership uh, for you and them. Thank you very much for support some of our listeners have already showed, interest they've already shown, and a team that we're very excited to work with.
1: Really happy to have Matt and his crew on board. And let's go ahead and get to a couple of these questions to close out tonight. Uh, what we went ahead and did was, we, first of all, we, we already answered some of the questions, I feel like, just within the context of the show. Um, so there's a couple, I guess we'll skip. But we also, Ingram went ahead and sorted them into basically what the shelf life on them was. So, so the most timely first. Let's go to Andy here, and Andy says, uh, what did you think of the effort level on defense? I remember in the past about a specific UGA versus UF game, you guys said there's a lot of want-to necessary for run defense. Did our guys uh, have and were just gassed, or did they give so low effort they knew the offense couldn't move?
0: I was, uh, I was more frustrated by the execution than necessarily the effort on defense. Uh, I've already given my idea as to the fact that I think the defensive line will improve with, with more live game time. I think, you know, the, your, run, your run defense improving is maybe one thing that you can feel somewhat confident about. Some of the concerns in the pass game and the linebacker drops are going to need to be addressed. You've, you've got some good pieces there. Marvin Wilson didn't come back to give half effort or whatever else. I, I think the defense will take care of itself uh, to an extent. And I'm not trying to, you know, paint over concerns. I think some are legitimate. But of all the concerns I have about this defense, run defenses, or about this team, run, run defense is not one of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, what 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 happens if those guys who came back decide to opt out because they, they see how the season's going?
0: Well, look, you lose the Miami game. I don't. No, I'm not trying to start rumors or anything, but it wouldn't shock me if if Terry or Wilson or other names didn't give real consideration to opting out. Not, not no Texas had a guy quit
1: in the third quarter against UTEP. I I, I didn't click the story to see why, but like he, he quit the team in the third quarter. That's that's not great, man. I I don't think that the effort was was poor. Um, I think the mental effort at times was undisciplined on defense. The defensive ends looked like they were poorly coached. They they jumped inside on plays where it clearly it was not their responsibility to do so. They allowed themselves to get hooked and and did not like they did not set the edge worth a damn. And that that was a major problem. It allowed Georgia Tech to have success in the run game. And to an extent that's an effort thing, but I, I don't think this is like they didn't play hard enough. They didn't play smart enough. They didn't play with good technique. They didn't play good team defense.
0: We also had a decent amount of guys getting first real snaps, to which uh, you know, people just get over-anxious, over-aggressive, and do dumb things. And I'm not excusing it. It's still reflective of coaching. But I do think that it's not unreasonable to expect some of those things to get better with guys like Griffiths and Fuller getting maybe a little bit more comfortable being out on the field. So I think that's fair. Uh, what do we have next here? We've got good news, Bud. That's what we've got. I put this on for a reason and wanted to, wanted to to talk about this one because uh, tonight hasn't been all too pleasant. But Tom asked, "It's a good thing they decided to let us drink beer in our seats. It helped me get through that debacle. I still think Norvell will get us there, but it's apparent how far we've fallen and how long of a rebuild this is going to be." Uh, the good news that I believe I have to share with people is that early indications, Bud. Is that this is a policy that they are going to keep moving forward? I think that you will be able, uh, as is planned, uh, once we return to a full capacity, that Florida State's plan is to let you drink beer uh, where you want to, and not necessarily to be you know hidden in some uh, concourse or whatever else.
1: This is almost like they reverse course on one of the least sensible policies that they could possibly ever enact last year, uh, ma- making you drink your beer in like like the. The zone of shame, like uh, under the erector set, is was well, just silly. Uh, treat people like adults and allow them to have some personal responsibility, and cut them off if they get absolutely tanked you know, and, and are being inappropriate, you know, around people. So, good move. And uh, hey, uh, times are tough financially. Maybe that's a reason why they did this. Who knows? Possible that uh, pe- people will buy more beer if they can actually enjoy it in their seats while watching. The game. So I'm glad Tom got to enjoy uh, an ice cold beer in the stands and hopefully several if uh, if he needed them to watch that, that thing. Hey, uh, I'm going to shock you here. Uh, Kessna has a question.
0: Yes, Kessna, good question. Plenty of them. Uh, going into the Georgia Tech game it was viewed as one of the worst teams we will face in conference play. If we can't beat Georgia Tech at Doak, a team with far less talent than us, why should we believe we can beat anyone? on this schedule, other than JSU. So if they were going to line up and play tomorrow, is there any team that you would actually, on this schedule, you would actually pick Florida State to beat? Duke and NC State. Those would be the only two, I think. I haven't seen Virginia, and there's a decent chance that... They... Well, you know how highly I think
1: of Virginia, but... So, um... Well, this is true, and Broncos a good coach. I want to be clear, that does not mean that Ingram and I think they're going to finish with, like, zero, one, or 2 wins. Math says they will probably pull an upset. Even Willie Taggers' team has pulled an up, you know, pulled an upset once or twice. And, you know, you, I think even in Jimbo's last year when they were like half coaching, I think he pulled an upset. Uh, hell, even the 2019 pulled a couple upsets. So just because they're underdogs in some of these games does not mean they won't, they won't pull an upset. It also does, it, it, hey, Ingram, if you're an underdog a lot, there are less opportunities for you to be upset as a favorite. So like, if we're looking on, on the positive side of things here. Uh, but no, like really, I, The the true answer is probably that Florida State has the potential to improve more week-to-week than almost any other team on its schedule because, unless I'm missing something here, every single team on Florida State's schedule is playing the same, retain the same head coach, and most of them, I think, kept both coordinators that they had last year. The only two exceptions are David Cutcliffe took back play-calling duties at Duke, and Miami switched to uh, Rhett Lashley and brought in Dear King to to run the system that he was familiar with. But everybody else, I think, has the same play caller on both sides of the ball that they had last season. Uh, I may be wrong on NC State defensively. We'll, we'll we'll check on that. From that standpoint, Florida State is potentially on a, like a week to week improvement thing because they're they're not just refining; they're literally learning that their their scheme week to week. This is just this weird COVID year, man. What? When you and I did our season preview predictions, we didn't really know what to expect. Like, I, we weren't guessing, but we were kind of guessing. I mean, like you—you have you're an educated guess. You talk to your sources. You kind of get a feel. Can I tell you another question? This is not exactly what what, what Kesson said, but I, I I think we we've answered this thing. This is two coaching staffs in a row that thought they were going to be pretty damn good on defense and decent on offense. Do you think it's like you get to Florida State as a new coach? And it's just very hard for you to believe that in practice you're watching this and you're watching your defense dominate the offense. And from all accounts, that did happen. And I'm not even sure the first team offense scored in these scrimmages, except for maybe – do you think it's like – it's very difficult for you to sit there and say as a coach, oh, man, this defense is just like decent and this offense is like the worst thing I've ever seen. You you almost have to kind of think, I'm at Florida's freaking state if the offense looks this bad, it's because the defense is at least pretty damn good.
0: I think uh, you know, not making a direct comparison, but a similar train of thought is like when you go out and, and recruit kids, you're pretty sure you're going to get everybody, you're going to uh, have success on the trail. I think you you come to Florida State, you look at like you look at Robinson and Kando, and you're like, my God, I haven't been able to coach ends that look like this in my life. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a level of play out of them. I'm gonna get a level of effort that they haven't given previously. Uh, and then I'm going to be able to field a a roster, uh, that's been here, but has not been, you know, coached by myself or, or refined by the people that I'm going to bring in underneath me. I think, you know, confidence is a, is a prereq for success in the industry. And I think it's real easy to look at Florida State's roster and probably get overconfident about what you're going to be able to get out of it. That's, that's fair.
1: How long, man, are, are, we, are we approaching like an hour and 15, hour and 20?
0: We've just been freestyling on a real fun Georgia Tech game to look back on. Absolutely. Uh, a couple more questions here. Lucas says, the saying, take this with a grain of salt, is not a strong enough disclaimer when referring to our defensive line's strong camp performance over the past few years. If I understand, this may be the weakest ACC offensive line we'll see all season. Uh-oh. Yes, uh, we probably pretty much just covered this, and uh oh, I agree. Uh, also, given this was my most winnable game candidate in a previous pod, just how do you think you can refine expectations for this year? You won't hurt my feelings. I'm learning Florida State's uh, FSU's Saturday performances can no longer hurt my feelings anymore. Uh, I'm with you there, Lucas. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, look, I don't want to sugarcoat it. The team just lost. To the team that I was the most confident they were going to win, you you can't dismiss that. Uh, if you want me to give a prediction at this point, I would say that Florida State probably wins four games this year. Um, that's painful. I hate it. But that's kind of where we are after looking at week one, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I I, I tried to figure out what my numbers were going to say after that loss. and Obviously, you wipe off not, not a full 1.0 for losing the game that you thought you'd win, but a decent chunk. Of your projection, which was, you know, a little bit over, over six and a half. But then you have to kind of adjust the rest of the games downward because you just lost to Georgia, Georgia Tech and you're not totally sure a good Georgia Tech is, but you are pretty sure that them having that, that number of guys out is not really a good thing. I think forward seven is kind of where I'm at right now, man.
0: Yeah, you lost to Georgia Tech, and you lost to Georgia Tech. It wasn't a fluke. You were fortunate to lose to him by three points, even going into half. I mean, it was it was very obvious that you were exceptionally fortunate to to have a ten point lead, and ultimately the the situations of the game caught up with you. And there's a lot of things to be concerned about, and we've detailed that throughout the entirety of tonight's podcast. Final question, also given this. Sorry, we just covered that one. Oh, he has an addendum. The, 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 by the way, uh, Lucas really enjoyed watching FSU stud recruit Jeff Sims' ball out there. He looks really comfortable and dope. Laying it on thick, Lucas, I like your style. Yeah, man, that was, uh, that was tough to stomach, definitely. Uh, a lot of guys who have wanted to play at Florida State or previously committed have come through the season or come through the stadium and, and had success recently, and that's just another, another chapter uh, to put on it. Tough to watch. Really tough to watch.
1: I know you guys are going to give Township those awesome reviews on, on Yelp and Google. You're going to give us five stars on iTunes, as always. We're going to take one more tonight because it, it ties in something we discussed. And then next week or next episode this week, we might just go all mailbag. Connor asks, over, under, four and a half starts for Purdy and Rodemaker rest this year. Over. Yeah, I'm, I'm going over as well. E- even if you execute my plan, which is to start in the final four games, there's
0: still the chance this offensive line gets your starting quarterback hurt and they have to come in earlier. So I think playing the odds, you got to say over. Two uh, uh, 90 seconds on what they might do with Jordan Travis and then we'll wrap. So first of all, they they went to Jordan Travis, I I think for two reasons. Number one, to give
1: James Blackman a a break and a mental break to put him on the sideline for a little bit. Maybe to have a little extra time to talk to him, just let him calm down a little bit and, and, and see the field, yada, yada, yada. Also because they can't run the football. So they have to create the extra gap by using him in that wildcat role. He is an effective runner. Part of the reason he's such an effective runner is because there's not a, a running back back there who you're either faking to or handing to. Whoever the other guy is back there is now blocking for him, which changes a lot of your blocking angles. Is, is Jordan Travis so dynamic that you feel like you can get 20-something points? Like, Could, could you beat Pitt with, with, with Jordan Travis at quarterback? I don't think you could beat UNC with Jordan, Jordan Travis quarterback. Notre Dame would figure that stuff out very quickly. Miami, I think defensively would probably figure that out. But maybe some mixture of Travis Blackman or or Travis Rodemaker, depending on, on what you what you want to do with that. Trying to piece something together, trying trying to get bowl eligible. Who knows? Uh, I I can see them trying something, though, and, and like they were not terrible running the ball when he was in.
0: Something we'll watch, something we'll monitor. This has been a, uh, a long, sometimes painful review of the Georgia Tech game, but uh, nonetheless, we're fortunate to be able to watch college football, but uh, we will be back shortly. And uh, as you mentioned, five stars for, for the good people at Township, five stars for us if you can uh, at Apple or uh, iTunes podcast. This has been the cast We will be back and talk with you here in the next 48 hours so. This has been the KnollCast. The KnollCast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knolls!